0: Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to the January 3rd, 2023 episode of The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. This is Craig W. Hurst, Emeritus Professor of Music, podcasting from my music bunker, along with my faithful canine companion, Carbo the Wonder Dog, to share with you my latest musical interests, And discoveries. I claim no special inside information about the latest or greatest music, nor do I know everything there is to know about music. What I am is a lover of music. I enjoy several genres of music, and I share with you what has currently caught my interest, old, new, outdated, and everything in between. Even old music is brand new if you have never heard it before. The universe of music is a vast one to enjoy. From my discussions, you might find something new to you and of interest to expand your own musical universe. I currently receive no compensation or motivation of any kind from any recording label, recording artist, or the estate of any performer or composer dead and gone, to discuss their music and or recordings. Now with that out of the way, welcome to My Musical Universe. My guest today is jazz vocalist, pianist, and bandleader, Nicole Zaredes. A Grammy-nominated musician powerhouse vocalist, New York-based band leader, and winner of the 2021 American Traditions Vocal Competition Gold Medal, Nicole Zaredes continues to establish herself as an undeniable force in the modern jazz landscape of both New York City and beyond. Nicole's bold, versatile voice possesses a special combination of soothing warmth, familiar authenticity, and raw grit that is reinventing the world's conception of what it means to be a jazz artist. She infuses elements of multiple genres and approaches into her artistry, refusing to limit herself to any one corner of the music business. With a heart as big as her remarkable voice, Nicole's effervescent personality and boundless enthusiasm for sharing the joy of music keep her audiences thrilled. Nicole is the premier vocalist for both the Birdland Big Band and the Dan Pugach Nanette. Her co-produced collaboration, How Love Begins, with bassist and eight-time Grammy Award winner Christian McBride is set to release in 2023, featuring all original compositions and the talents of some of the jazz world's best. She has appeared as a featured soloist with the Savannah Philharmonic, Asheville Symphony, and other noted Pops orchestras, as well as supported with piano and vocals iconic singers such as Morgan James and Darren Chris. Nicole regularly plays Birdland, The Blue Note, 54 Below, 55 Bar in New York City. As a recording artist, Nicole has released four albums as a leader, including 2020's all wandering hearts on Dot Time Records. In December 2018, she partnered with guitarist Brandon Scott Coleman to record and release a live album, Live at the Two-Headed Calf. Nicole's touring ensemble, Generations of Her, Woman, women songwriters and lyricists of the last 100 years has played to sold-out houses in New York City and around the country. She is also a member of the modern jazz supergroup Ryan Keberly and Catharsis, as well as Sonica with Tana Alexa and Julia Adami. In 2019, Nicole was nominated for a Grammy alongside her husband, renowned drummer and bandleader Dan Pugach, for their arrangement and performance of Dolly Parton's Jolene. In recognition of her talents, Nicole has won a litany of other awards, including the New York City Songwriting Competition Coffee Music Project in 2016, the Herb Alpert ASCAP, Young Composer Award in 2014, and the gold medal Ben Tucker Jazz Award, People's Choice, and Johnny Mercer Award in the National American Traditions Vocal Competition. In 2015, Nicole was second runner-up in the Sarah Vaughan International Jazz Vocal Competition. In 2020, Forbes magazine featured Nicole's pandemic pivot project, virtual piano lounge plus one. Nicole has performed throughout America and the world, including such places as the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival, San Jose Jazz Festival, Bonnaroo, Litchfield Jazz Festival, Savannah Jazz Festival, Saratoga Jazz Festival, flapita Jazz in Lithuania, Port Fairy Festival in Australia, and The Bird's Eye in Switzerland. In New York, Nicole is headlined Birdland and Blue Note and maintains residencies at 55 Bar, Rockwood Music Hall, and Red Eye Grill. Her many collaborations include work with the likes of Christian McBride, David Cook, Morgan James, Rob Mouncey, Rick DePofi, Di- Gilead Heckelsman, Kabir Segal, Cyril Ami, Tana Alexa, Dave Stryker, Antonio Sanchez, Don Braden, Rachel Z, Livingston Taylor, Tom Chapin, Omar Hakim, Cab Calloway Orchestra, Melanie Safka, Helen Sung, Ryan Keberly, Benny Benek, and Bernard Purdy. Nicole is a proud faculty member of the Litchfield Jazz Camp, and has taught songwriting and jazz vocal workshops worldwide, along with college workshop residencies and masterclasses at the University of North Texas and the Berkeley College of Music in Boston. She cherishes the opportunity to help build confidence and curiosity through the joy of music with people from all over the globe. Outside of music, Nicole was featured by Columbia News Tonight as New Yorker of the Week for her work with shelter animals and fostering dogs. She attained her MBA online from LSUS during the COVID-19 pandemic and continues to rehabilitate pit bulls, while donating percentages of proceeds from album sales to local rescue groups. It is my pleasure to welcome to my musical universe, Nicole Zaratus. Hello, Nicole. Hi there it's uh really great uh to talk with you and to have you as a guest on my podcast today really been looking forward to having you and uh talking with you about uh, your music thank
1: you so much my husband really enjoyed chatting with you and you know developing your friendship and it's really nice to, to to chat with you now too
0: well thank you thank you well i think i think dan's a really okay too i like Dan a lot we <laughs> We keep up from time to time. Well, anyway, I want to jump right in and hear about what you will tell us about the album, Sonica, uh, which you collaborated with Tana Alexa and Julia Dami. Uh, You know, the album's been, has been put forth for Grammy consideration, two of the songs, Danny Boy and, and Doyan. And I'm particularly intrigued uh, by the song, Doyan, as the voice overs seem to reveal the song to v- be very much a, a, like a cultural or a sociological statement. So would you please talk to us about Tana and Julia and the work you did together on Sonica?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, well, I remember I saw a documentary where Nina Simone said, you know, the a lot of people tell artists that, you know, just shut up and sing or, um don't don't take a stance because it'll ruin your audience but you know it's kind of our job innately as artists to take a stance because we have a platform so um you know tana's previous record ona is uh about women's empowerment i've always taken a stand about animal rights or um, mental health and um you know julia is just her her she comes from a family of activists so for us you know, making this little record that each song has its own special, you know, um, message without, you know, beating you over the head. That was important to us. Mm -hmm. Um, And then for Doyen, you know, we wanted to write a song together. And as you know, three women in the industry, we're like, how can we um, empower our colleagues and and um, and people in general, and then we want to think about the choices for the over overlays of the voices, you know, who what kind of voices do we want to lift up? We want to amplify um, voices of people of color, of people um, under duress, and you know, if it just happens to be in a song that runs, four and a half minutes and that's then is you know then you know it's just a little a little step in the right direction Mm -hmm, Um, mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so
1: that's that's how we kind of came up with that song and we have a song about climate change um we have a mental health song we have a you know hippie tree loving cover of uh (laughs) of stevie wonder um yeah so that was that, that's a really fun interim project for me mm-hmm. um, between records. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm really glad that I did Sonica.
0: OK, well, talk a little bit about uh, some of the uh, musical elements. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you, you've you got three vocalists, obviously vocal harmonies uh, and, and arrangements that are going to uh, support and feature uh, you know voices and it, can you tell us anything about uh uh maybe how you work together in the studio when you were recording or any particular uh interesting anecdotes about the making of that of that album
1: yeah sure it's it's actually interesting because the way that the band came about was through circumstance um you know Tom and I have always been best friends since I moved to the city and um we would always do projects together but never formalize them and mm-hmm. then she said oh i have a wonderful artist who's having an art opening and she wants to have a band maybe you and i can do something and at that time she had just started getting into vocal looping and i obviously i'm a piano player and she's like well, let's call julia she'll play bass hey julia do you sing at all she's like i oh, dabble mm-hmm. so we were like all right let's pull together as many songs as we can in a very short amount of time with no rehearsal and then we get to the venue and there's like 70 people in sitting in chairs waiting for us to perform. Oh, we're, like a concert we're like oh rats I. Mm-hmm. Not what we expected, so we kind of put on our professional hats and we're like well we gotta figure till we, till we make it and we did the concert and then when we were done people had a, a really like visceral reaction and. um. We're like interesting huh well that was fun and then we we did one more show same thing just like this very visceral reaction from the crowd where they're just like this feels unique and different so mm-hmm. that the instrumentation of sonica is um well i think that's also a challenge but also a beautiful thing is that we we have the, the vocal loop okay um, so you know you can only loop so many chords until you have to press record and it repeats again so a lot of how we wrote songs together as a band or how i envisioned songs when i wrote songs for sonica to play is with the intention of um ostinato and, okay. and repetition so we have the vocal looper and like harmonic vocal effects that tana does and then i play the piano and just started adding now synth and um you know different effects on the on the on the synthesizer and then julia plays bass she also has effects on the bass, so it's definitely like jazz adjacent um leaning pop Mm -hmm. like i like i said interim project that was a beautiful uh, result of circumstance and and um in the studio you know it took a long time because we're never around you know yeah touring with antonio Sanchez, mm-hmm. who's her husband. Julia is currently the bass player for Sam Smith. And then I'm touring with all my acts. So we would find a day every three months mm-hmm. to come and record. Um, we did have the luxury that Tana is a wonderful um, engineer from her home studio that she has. And so they, you know, we got to just, it's not quite to sign up at a studio and have them call us back and blah 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 blah, blah and lay down the tracks so we got to do it at a relaxed pace and then the pandemic hit and then obviously no one went over anyone's houses for a year and a half mm-hmm. um, and then finally <laughs> i feel like this is a long-winded response sorry <laughs> um oh, it's okay <laughs> there's so much to say um antonio sanchez um you know he really liked the song Doyen. and um and he was like, I want to put this on my record with Warner Music mm-hmm. and uh, do my arrangement of it. And we're like, that's great, but we should probably um, solidify what Sonica is. Otherwise, you know, we have this beautiful opportunity for people to hear music through Antonio's platform. And then they're going to look up Sonica and it doesn't exist. Right. Right. <laughs> like, so we need to fit, you know, that that's my MBA speaking. I got an MBA during COVID. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> so I was like, um, yeah, from a business aspect, this would be a huge waste of time. And right. if we don't have something that people can find us, right. So, you know, it's been, I'm glad, I'm really glad that we did it. It's a beautiful thing. We're going to play winter jazz fest in the city in mm-hmm. January.
0: Oh, yeah. wonderful. Wonderful. Well, it's 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 really interesting how the whole thing kind of came together serendipitously and was able to uh, gain some traction and grow and become uh, become what you've you've done. And then, you know, certainly you're still free and and uh, ready, willing and able to go on with your own projects uh, speaking of which, I understand you also have a collaboration with Christian McBride coming out in twenty twenty three. What can you tell us about that project?
1: <laughs> that that that's like the the baby that I I will be giving birth to. That's how I feel about that that record. Okay, I recorded it you know late November twenty twenty one with mm-hmm. uh, the cast of characters is Christian McBride on bass and co producing it with me, and then Galat Hexelman on guitar. Um, David Cook is a special guest on piano, I also play the piano on the record, um, then we have Dan Pugach on drums, and Billy Kilson's special, special guest as a drummer, and then Maya Kronfeld on organ and Worley. And so th- that's like the cast of characters for that, I wrote all the music, arranged all the music.
0: Oh, wonderful.
1: Um, yeah, it was it was actually pretty amazing to have that because I presented Christian when we were choosing tunes with like 25 songs. Many Mm -hmm. were arrangements of songs or like standards, you know. because I wanted to fit into the jazz box this time. I didn't wanna be Mm -hmm. like jazz adjacent artist because that's been actually a real challenge for me Um, on a business front, on a personal front, just in order to like trying to crack the glass ceiling, being an artist that sat between genres has been extremely hard on me. (laughs) So mm-hmm. I wrote this album and I gave him options that to me felt like this fits in the jazz idiom. And so, um, it could be played on radio. It could be played on podcasts. It can be, it could be, um, put on a, on a playlist, you know, et cetera. Um, but also I wrote it. So it's not like I'm selling out and just singing like fly me to the moon all day. So, right. um, but he chose all original tunes. Um, mm-hmm. some of them are a bit, you know, a low genre crossing but a lot of it um is cohesive i'm really proud of this project and so i'm going to put it out um independently with outside in as the distributor wonderful and, yeah i was there gonna... that's
0: a great label i've yeah, i've talked fabulous. to uh i had alan on as a guest oh probably six months ago or so from Which outside in yeah. yeah and and learn more about the label and uh, and what they're all about. And I, I'm very excited about the label It's a and their philosophy.
1: Yeah, the philosophy it, is important to me, too.
0: Because they really seem to be all about helping promote artists. Correct. You know, rather than only, you know, the bottom line, so to speak.
1: Right. And, and, and they saved me many times because I had a poor experience with my previous label. Okay. And they took me with Open R's, took my entire catalog over... And like, they, and they're honest about what they can achieve. And they mm-hmm. also are honest that if you put in X amount of work, you'll get better results. And so, mm-hmm. um, I was gonna go with a, you know, Christian's label, but that, that timeline just didn't work for me. I don't have an a year and a half to wait, like, right. I have plenty more records to make and release. And so, you know, it's been, it's a frightening thing because, you know, I'm doing this again but with with this cast of characters and then like i'm really supported by christian you know it you know brother mister he's like is the producer
0: and really Mm -hmm. believes in the music and in me so that's great soothes me (laughs) well i think it's you know to have someone of his stature and and he undeniably has great stature i mean he's with his big band and a number of uh you know, awards that he's made, of course, is who he's played with and what he's done and where he's been. But it's great to have someone like that uh, in your corner. Correct. And uh, and and in a sense, mentoring you, uh, you know, and it, it it must give you a nice boost of confidence uh, in yourself and your work and and what you're doing as a creative artist to have someone like that say, yeah, I dig this and this and this and this. Let's do these things. So I, that's really awesome.
1: It's funny, like you would think that I would be like, okay, I I must not be that bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if, yeah. If, if, if McBride's like, you're great. I want to work with you. Come yeah. come live in my house with me. You know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. But in, yeah. but no, like the, I'm I'm still being like, oh god. Oof, yeah, yeah. Does well, anybody like this? Will anyone like this? Is yeah. It cool? But but I don't know. This is like the one time in my life that I'm like i put a lot of work into this and a lot of money and a lot of artistic merit like I, i'm really excited for it to come out
0: oh good well we'll be looking for do we do we know a date yet a release date Oh, 7-7. okay seven seven, oh, seven, seven. Okay. Yeah. seven, seven twenty three so a nice summertime release
1: yep we're gonna do summer we were gonna do uh 331 i like numbers but yeah, I was like, dang, that means I got to get my pictures taken during Christmas time when I'm eating all those cookies. No, thanks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> OK, all right. Well, that's that sounds very exciting. Well, Nicole, I want to go kind of reel back the 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 uh, clock a bit back uh, because what I'm interested in is a it, this is a question I ask everybody and and because I'm always interested in everybody's origin story. So who or what turned on the light for you? What turned you on to music and to becoming a musician?
1: Hmm. This, this question always, I always change my answer.
0: Oh, that's okay. I'm only going to broadcast this once. <laughs>
1: <laughs> like it should be, it should be an easy answer, but. I like the first thing that always comes to my head is the 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 concert for New York after 9 11. Okay, I was a junior in in high school. um, I mean, it was a sophomore. I was a sophomore. And I remember, you know, obviously, 9 11 happened. And then I watched the concert for New York, you know, had um, all those incredible artists. Um, Billy Joel did like Miami i've seen the lights go down on Broly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i
0: think i remember watching that concert it was broadcast on tv i believe
1: yeah it was broadcast on tv yeah yeah and i remember watching that and just like having this like insane cathartic release at like pretty young age it's not like i mm-hmm. hadn't been to therapy and i could acknowledge that that was helping me but like i remember watching that concert going oh my god music is so important you know that's mm-hmm. it's so important music it it's Look how it's making me, how it's making me feel. Look how it's making it all through these millions of people feel. I was like, I want to do that. I always had a natural gift for music and I was always doing music and mm-hmm. music came naturally to me. But I don't think until I saw that was, did I realize like, oh, like there's, there's a higher purpose to music besides like, let's bop in the car and get, you know, get to work. It's like, there's a, right. there's a deeper person, purpose, there's catharsis. I really mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Believe in that. So that was that was a big moment for me.
0: Yeah. Well, I, a lot of what you're saying is what I used to try to convince legions of students uh, that I taught in my uh, music caprice class or jazz history class about music is more than just something you flip on the radio and have on in the car when you're driving along. If you really take time to listen and take time to uh, 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 really as I used to say, suck out all the marrow of all the juicy goodness of everything that's there. Yeah. And I, and it's like, I used to love with my students because especially those that were taking uh, like music appreach and you, you play uh, some strictly instrumental music, like a piano sonata or something uh, for them a recording. And, and, and the big the first question always comes to mind is, well, Dr. Hurst, what does it mean? Because there's no lyrics and i would say well you listen to the music and then you tell me based on what you hear what kind of day was the composer having when they wrote that music (laughs) i love that and 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 that would engender a lot of discussion because of course there'd be different opinions so it was a it was a great 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 way to approach but you're you're so right music has that tendency to elicit so many different feelings from different people and, and given uh uh you know that particular uh circumstance and uh so yeah I, you know i think my i was similar i can remember i as far back as i can remember always loving listening to music and then fooling around we had a we had a uh electric organ in our home you know one of those baldwin organs and and I used to mess around with it. And one day, my mother just said to me, said, if you're going to play it, you're going to learn to play it correctly. Mm-hmm. And I was like when I was about nine and I started taking lessons. And uh, and w- the, the funny thing is, though, I don't think I ever really went all the way in. I mean, took the giant leap off the cliff until after I made a conscious decision at one point to not do music anymore. And then I found out how much I missed it. Which is, which, is, which is kind of kind of a, an interesting turn. Well, kind of a very similar uh, question then, who or, who or what turned you on to jazz? Oh, we've lost it. So kind of concomitant with, uh, you, know, uh, getting turned on to music, uh, who or what turned you on specifically to jazz?
1: I um, was a trombone player. I started playing trombone in middle school. And um, there was a little jazz camp that started in my hometown when I was 14 years old. And my parents were like, you're going to jazz camp. I was like, okay. (laughs) So, (laughs) So they sent me there as a trombone player. And what I saw was a bunch of like men playing one song for like twenty minutes, and each person taking a solo, you know four four minutes each solo, and me being bored to tears um and and being like, "What is happening? I hate this. Mm. <laughs> well, I've never said that out loud, but now I'm at the point where I don't care anymore mm-hmm. so and so, and then they were like, "Okay, so now improvise, um." child and I was like no that's terrifying I have no self-confidence I don't know no just no and so I was like I hate jazz and then two years later you know I'm in high school I'm in the jazz band and then the the um conductor was like hey do you want to sing um a a chart with the jazz band I was like uh yeah that sounds great I sang like so many stars or you know something like yeah i think that was what he said or desafinado mm-hmm. um, and i was like "Ooh, this is fun i love this and then i joined the community college jazz band with the same director
2: mm-hmm.
1: and i started going back to jazz camp but as a vocalist
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then that that was an interesting thing because i also was aware that the culture wasn't correct um as a young you know singer mm-hmm. and they made sure to say like you're a singer not a not a musician oh. so I always kept that in the back of my head and then I didn't go back for two years went to college for opera um but then you know I came home one summer and I noticed that I had a real like love for songwriters and I was improvising and I was writing songs myself and I got really into like Ella Fitzgerald and even like blues artists like Eva Cassidy. And I was like, let me go back to that jazz camp and see if they need an assistant. Mm -hmm. So I was like, can I have an assistant position? So the first person that I, that I shadowed was Sheila Jordan.
2: Oh, okay.
1: And I was like, okay, you're awesome. Where have you been? I'm like, you're amazing. What an amazing educator and human and vibe and I'm like i'm so inspired by you and then i got to then from there i would just every summer assist a different artist like stephanie Nacassian. um she i also assisted her she was also extremely like amazing at teaching and i learned so much from her i also assisted other artists that honestly <laughs> i was like geez you guys are really mean <laughs> me so i learned so much about education mm-hmm. by seeing what i would never do Right. Anyway, long story. So I kind of like quit opera and went down the jazz rabbit hole. And I'm a late bloomer mm-hmm. um to, to jazz, but I I don't I don't know. I, I would say when I was 30 years old, 29 it was like the last year you can apply for the Herb Alpert Young Jazz Composers Award. So I mm-hmm. was like, all right, well, I've only been doing this for like three years. I'll submit won it. Then I was the next year, I was like, I should probably apply to Sarah Vaughan International Jazz Vocal Competition. Got in, you know, like, and then like do other competitions. Like everything I did was so late. I mm-hmm. was not like a coddled young artist, like TikTok star, you know I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, i was, like, Yeah. Really had a journey. And um, a lot of it was like learning the hard way. Um, but now I'm the, uh, the, the head vocal faculty at that camp <laughs> oh wow Very yeah cool. and, like, we have a totally different rapport now between um vocalists and and instrumentalists it's no longer the singers right yeah dan just says hi dan you oh dan, hi dan you're on air we're we're, we're recording so that's okay don't say anything silly
0: <laughs> it's always good to see you dan <laughs> good to see you good to see you well, you know, it's uh, it, it's interesting, uh, you know, when you say becoming a late bloomer, it was a great quote I saw that yes, yesterday uh, on Facebook. It said, don't be afraid to try things because today you are the oldest you have ever been and the youngest you are ever going to be. I love that. I do, too. Because I love that you know, I'm, I'm kind of one of those people that I'm very open to new things and trying new things. And, uh, even though sometimes they're kind of scary, you know, Mm -hmm. but you've got to give them a go. You've got to be willing to, uh, well, you've got to be willing to fail and still go on and still feel okay about yourself and knowing that, you know, that, well you gave it a try. It didn't work, but that doesn't mean I'm a failure. It just means mm-hmm. that didn't work. What I find interesting, Nicole, is you are now the third jazz vocalist I have interviewed that has also been a trombone player. <laughs> Isn't it? I, Wait, who, what,
1: did you Okay, did the you, other Aubrey
0: Haley? Logan, Aubrey, Aubrey Logan, you know Aubrey?: Yeah. Okay. She's in Austin, Texas now. and then Haley Brunel, who's in Philly.:
1: How hilarious.
0: And uh, and Haley is uh, she also plays with Diva, uh, the big band. Right. And uh, but she does some uh, she does some wonderful vocal work, too, but uh, all trombonists. That's kind of an interesting connection. So, um, well, then thinking about your late bloomer short career in jazz, then what has been some of your most memorable moments from your career in music?
1: um well I I consider like everything that I've done like as a ladder okay for me it's definitely been a marathon and not a sprint um and because I kind of dabbled in all the different genres I have like highlights in different genres but I would say like one like the catalyst for me was I sang at a friend's wedding and then the person who ran the Litchfield Jazz Festival saw me and she was like you're a jazz singer in fact you should be performing at my jazz festival next summer make a cd and so that was like one moment where i was like wow that's like what they refer to as like the lucky break right Mm -hmm. i did this festival i wasn't like ready for it in retrospect but i did it well and so that helped me climb start climbing the ladder and so i've also like some of the other highlights are not jazz related. I toured with Livingston Taylor and Tom Chapin and Melanie Safka for a while there. I was a folk artist doing like folk festivals, which I was a total fish out of water. People would be like playing the fiddle and, you know, like the banjo and I would be like, mm-hmm. let me sing you some blues, <laughs> it, was, it was a weird thing. Yeah. Um. But then um, other highlights have been you know the first time I sang with the Birdland big band oh yeah you know that was like such a full circle moment from like being a little trombone player in Waterbury Connecticut singing for the first time with the big band because the band director had the foresight to be like oh she can sing mm-hmm. to be like singing with the most premier band at the most premier club yeah so I was Like that was a huge thing and then like the one that takes the cake is the grammy nomination that dan and i got together in 2019 um which we got literally by surprise
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah that was that was for jolene wasn't it yep yeah
1: total shock yeah um so that was huge
0: oh Um, that's awesome
1: yeah so those are some of the things and now i'm gonna i'm starting to work with like artists that i really admire so i'm gonna be singing with darren chris who's a he was like on glee and he's an, a beautiful singer i'm going to be doing like a three week run with him in two weeks from now and i just like realized that i just like to make music like there you go i was like you also just like love music i just love all types of music and jazz mm-hmm. happens to be where i sit the most comfortably so sure. i'm gonna sit in that box for now
0: well it's you know i kind of like to think of myself as a musician who plays jazz rather than just as a jazz musician, because I also play other kinds of music as well. Love and, that, yeah. And I, and, you know, I mean, the money you make playing a polka gig in Wisconsin is just as green as the money you make playing a jazz gig. <laughs> and so I never turned down those polka gigs because they're, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty, uh, uh, well, they come up pretty often in this neck of the woods, but I love uh, it. and they're fun. Yeah, and they are fun. And uh, but I think now this next question I'm going to ask you're going to probably be better suited to answer this than a lot of guests I've had because you have dabbled in a lot of styles and you've studied voice form- formally and yeah. and uh, uh, you know studied opera and so forth. But my question is, you know, jazz comes in a lot of different flavors and different styles within that umbrella style that we we call jazz so as Sorry. someone that's okay so as someone who you know has come at jazz from both the inside and the outside what is the common thread that runs through all jazz music and what is it that makes jazz distinct from other styles of music
1: what is the common thread despite all the different types of jazz that runs through it and what makes it distinct. I think, I don't know, I used to call it like, like the end there's like a mutual intellectual complexity to jazz across all aspects. Um, mm-hmm. like maybe harmonically, rhythmically, and melodically that I think I mean, this, I don't know, I don't, I've never been asked that question. That's a fabulous question, Greg, and I actually would like to think about that more in my life. I I really want to think about that more in life, but my initial response is like, well, I wanted to say improvisation, right? Mm -hmm. That's not necessarily true, but also maybe it is true because thank you. My dog is just pacing around. Mm-hmm. Circling the food on the table. That's oh yeah. <laughs> That's the, I'm just like lay down. <laughs> yeah. Stop yeah,
0: distracting
1: I, me so I can answer this deep question. Yeah. Um, I think probably that I think okay. Sorry, this is a whole big. That was a whole big to do for me to really think about it. For me, despite the type of jazz I do nothing is ever written on the page fully, right? It's not like a classical piece or a musical theater score where like everything is notated. Every hit, every voicing of the chord, every um, build of the harmony with the horns and or the voice. You know when i when I write music, I just write maybe the bass line
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then a, a a a repeat or in the same style for the rest, and then just chords and then I trust the musician that I play with to use their own creativity and musicality to f- fill in what that chord means to them. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't matter if it's jazz adjacent and you're just playing like like Robert Glassbury backbeat hip hop, he's still adding complex harmonies on top of that mm-hmm. that he's improvising and making up. Um there's still a, a method of of improv with like a soloist over that. So the fact that it's not all just written out mm-hmm. is what I think it makes it jazz. Okay. Was a really long-winded no
0: that's that's thing. a great that's a great response i I heard uh a line and actually I used it last night in a rehearsal I was directing uh about uh two weeks ago yeah it was two weeks ago last night Brian Lynch was in town and he uh because he's a Milwaukee guy and mm-hmm. uh so he was invited to come and uh, I've been uh playing with, and then last night, I ran the rehearsal for the Milwaukee Jazz Institute little big band wow. and uh but two weeks ago, Brian was brought in, and he rehearsed the band, I played lead trumpet, and anyway, he made a statement that I thought was just really made me think. He said, there's a difference between playing on the notes and playing in the notes. And I think what he was getting at is the very thing that you just said in that as musicians, we don't just play the ink. There is there's much more that we bring to it. And I remember telling these uh, and, and this group's all adult students. So I was telling him, I says, okay, there are certain unwritten rules in big band that we observe, you know, like for example, I said, anytime we have a long sustained note, unless it tells you in the music to, you know, keep the volume low or the same. So we always do like a forte piano crescendo. We have to increase the intensity some way because there's no rhythmic element to a whole note tied to a whole note.
2: Right.
0: And and I said, that's one of the things, it's not written in your music, but it's what we do. Uh, or if we're playing a, 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 counter, a counter melody or or backgrounds behind a soloist, I said, we still have to play them in a musical fashion. So even if it's not written, we ought to crescendo and decrescendo following the line of the, of the mel- the melody, you know, things like that. So in other words, playing in the notes instead of just playing on the notes or what's written. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I used to, To my students, I used to use an example of uh, comparing, say, uh, being in a play and reading from a script versus improv comedy. Improv comedy, you're given a topic, right? In jazz, you're given a tune. And then everybody finds ways to make up, contribute, bounce off, you know, and make, make, make it work, right? Without being every every little thing micromanaged by the the author or the or the composer and uh so your description i agree 100 percent with i think it says a lot the exact same thing so i think we're of like mind
1: i think so too and yeah i'm still like i'm still thinking about it i'm like well that might just be one of the i mean i guess in a rock band the same thing right but but there's also not the same kind of permission, in a, at least that I found in yeah when I play in folk and rock or even like wedding bands. There's like there's, like you stick you stick to the to the road, you have right. to stick to the road, and if you veer off the road in other genres, then it's, then you're, then you're being jazz, <laughs>
0: and exactly like, oh, please, oh, exactly. <laughs> Well, you know, and then there's the you know what Homer Simpson, you know, always said. oh, those jazz guys, they're just making stuff up, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But yeah, you're. I mean, certainly other musics have their conventions. I mean, you studied opera, man. Opera's full of conventions, you That's know. Why it yeah. That's why I left. Yeah, well, I mean, because you have, you, you know, you have to perform, you know, certain. Certain things a certain way, and i i I'm an opera lover. I mean I watch the Met in h d quite frequently you know from uh, from our our from home here and 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 love opera, but it has a ton of of conventions uh you know and and traditions. But uh, and I guess so does jazz, too, in a certain way. But one of those traditions is that even if you're playing a tune or singing a tune that's, you know, as old as dirt, like after you've gone, for example, when it comes time to improvise, you're expected to make something new and create something new and do it on the spot. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's like working without a net. It's, it's uh, you know, performing art. Well, anyway, I could probably keep talking about that for for hours, but we're not here to hear me talk. We're here to no, hear I, you talk. That's
1: such a beautiful, I just love that question. I'm, I'm going to think more about that. Yeah,
0: well, it's something you can talk about next time you get together with some of your uh, your colleagues. Yeah. See what they think. Although, don't give it away because I've booked both Julia and Tana for, for interviews.
1: okay great
0: because they were very nice to to uh, when i told them i was interviewing you and i said yeah i'd like to interview you guys they were all they were both very very nice and say okay sure you know so i've got them not for some time yet but i but i've got them uh Mm -hmm. well anyway uh, let's get right to some other kinds of ideas uh now you, you know i mean you kind of started out as a vocalist Kind of right out of the starting gate. I mean, you know, here sing, but you obviously have listened to others. Who were who were your models uh, as as a vocalist? Who did who who? Uh, I mean, I hate to use the word who influenced you, but I guess that's that's really what I'm getting at.
1: Yeah, I um, well, so like when I was young, I loved Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Just like the powerhouse vocalists, really appealed to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I went through my musical theater phase where I was obsessed with Jesus Christ, superstar, Mm -hmm. like Frank Lloyd Webber. Sure. um, And then like the voices of like Jason Robert Brown and stuff. And then I, then I also had a phase of being obsessed with rock and roll vocalists. Like Benatar. I loved for a while there. Um, Led Zeppelin. Um, van halen was a huge one sammy hagar as yeah? okay and then i got into my like emo songwriting phase and so i stopped caring about the voice as much as i cared about the message so then i loved carol king joni mitchell um cv wonder who like i also i do love his voice mm-hmm. but, like it was more about like the songs and how they wrote of Billy Joel, Elton John. And then finally, you know, dabbled in, there was an obsession with Ella Fitzgerald, mm-hmm. Eva Cassidy, Jane Monheit, who's now my friend, just oh, such sure. like a weird moment. You know, I'm like, uh-huh. oh, she was like such a star when she was so young. And yeah. I was young and I, I like really loved her. And now I love Sarah Bareilles is one of my favorite artists of all time. And, um, And one of my favorite vocalists too. So um, who am I forgetting? Well, you that was a lot. I ran a gamut.
0: uh, you really have a broad (laughs) and varied background in terms of of what what has gone into your own uh musical DNA. So that's what makes Nicole unique. You know, and, and the sounds that 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 you have. And I think you're uh, you know, you're your style of, of delivery and your, 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 your vocals are, I think are wonderful. There's uh uh, I included in my show notes, uh, a, uh, video, a YouTube of you performing the nearness of you. And I have to tell you, I just love the way you do that song. Thanks. Oh my goodness. I listened to that over and over again. I thought it was just, uh, just really, really super uh, do you uh do you play um is piano do you really is that really uh do you feel like that's equally as much of an axe for you as, as your voice?
1: No, piano was oh. a was a sink or swim survival New York thing. I gotcha. Um now it's it feels like a part of my body, but yeah. when I first got here, I was just playing because everything was so expensive and that's how I got a lot of opportunities to like be in a club date band because I was like, I kind of play the piano and I'm a singer. And they're like, great, Mm -hmm. you're going to play the piano. I was like, crap, not going to learn how to play the piano. Um, and so out of necessity, I learned how to play. Okay. Now, like sometimes I'm shocked at how much better I got. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, you know, one thing that I don't do on piano is improvise. Okay. I just, I, it's such a strange thing. I don't even know where to begin. Mm-hmm. But I can accompany myself. I do left hand bass, and my left hand bass got really strong during the pandemic because I was just me and my husband, Dan, who plays drums. We did a, uh, you know, online performance thing, and I would be the band. I had to sure. play the bass and the chords and sing, and Dan would play drums and, engineer it's crazy so yeah i'm i'm i love playing the piano but i also now that i've progressed further in my career i'm able to step away from it and just sing in many situations okay well
0: then i won't ask you who were your models or influences as a pianist then (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I did love, I did love like Bill Evans. Oh yeah. I also loved like that, like smooth, like Jim Brickman. Oh yeah. Stuff, you know, like I loved listening to that as a, as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Amacha Mall, I really like his piano
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, soloing. Cause that to me is like very tangible. I'm like, oh, that's like melodic, thematic, motific soloing. That makes sense to me. I can do that. So yeah. when I do take a solo, either vocally or on the piano, I'm always kind of channeling a matchamal.
0: Okay. yeah. Yeah. You know, I always I always loved I always loved his arrangement of uh the theme to mash. What a cool I always thought that made it was so cool. And uh I, I even think I discovered it before I discovered the movie.
2: Oh. Or
0: the TV show. But anyway, so much for that. Uh, I want to switch gears just a little bit because, Nicole, you're also an educator. And uh, what do you tell your students who are aspiring for a career in music?
1: That if you can see yourself doing anything else, do it.
0: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No.
1: Um, What I definitely focus on as an educator is keeping the joy in the music um, at any level, truly um, mm-hmm. this is going to be my first year teaching at, you know, higher, higher education. I'm teaching at NYU oh. now, and I'm going to be teaching, you know, as full-time, you know, adjunct faculty, I'll be teaching at SUNY Purchase.
0: Oh, as well as wonderful.
1: Teachers. Yeah. This is like new Yeah, as someone who <laughs> I've been, I well, I IRF. just say
0: I've been to the Purchase campus and I, they've got a lot of, they've got a very distinguished alumni.
1: They sure do. They yes. Sure do so. Um, that's pretty awesome. I don't know how I'm going to be able to keep my joyful, you know, it's like what's called a mission statement, um, in higher ed because you also have to like give grades, but yeah, my, Mm -hmm. the way that I teach is always like, trust your gut, trust your instinct, keep it like remember why you're doing music. Like I'm never going to be the teacher that says to someone like you are, you're not talented or mm-hmm. you're you should consider doing something else. Like if someone wants to come take voice lessons with me, fine. Mm-hmm. I'll just Mold the clay that I'm given. That's, um,
0: that's great. I, yeah. I you know, I, I, you, uh, in not so many words, I used to say a lot of the same things to Hundreds of students that I advised over the years uh, teaching in in the uh, university level, uh, you know, if they wanted to come and major in music, I, uh, I'd i say, well, first of all, you cannot be a dilettante. You have to go all in, hands, feet, heart, and soul if you're going to make it. I never will forget, beautiful young man that came to me 30 years ago. And was looking for advising. And I said, Alex, what do you want to do? He says, I want to be a blues musician. And I, at first I thought, okay, so let's figure out how you're going to do this. And uh, he stayed, uh, I taught at a two-year campus at the time, a freshman, sophomore campus. So he went through all the music theory and RL skills classes and played in my jazz ensemble and so on. And then he's a pretty smart kid. He had an aunt. That lived in Chicago. Yeah. He went down. He moved in with it. He went moved in with his aunt. He finished his degree at Columbia College in Chicago. But in the meantime, was studying at the feet of Buddy Guy. And now Alex has, uh, you know, he's he's going places. He hasn't really hit 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 it huge. But before COVID, he was doing two hundred and fifty dates a year. And uh, and uh, now he's it's, you know, he's trying to rebuild things. But what I'm getting at is that, you know, when a student comes to us, they see what's on TV or and and it looks easy. Well, of course, it looks easy because the person doing it has worked their tail off to make it easy. You know, I, I used to always tell my trumpet students playing the trumpet is not hard, but we sure make it that way. (laughs) because of all the screwy bad habits and things and that's mostly what i would start out with a with a new student was unlearning fixing all the things that they were doing backwards or in an inefficient manner so that they could at least play the horn um but uh, you're right about the the dedication you've got to go you've got to go all the all the way in on it and i think maintaining which you also implied, I think is, is excellent. That growth mindset, molding the clay that you're given. I love that statement. I'm going to, I'm going to use that by the way, and I'll, I'll even quote you, but I think as an educator, that's, that's exactly what you have to do is work with what you're given and make it grow the best you can. So that's, that's really super. Uh, I want to go back for a moment, you know, I complimented on your Version of the nearness of you, and I really do enjoy your approach to uh, that standard. Um, when you prepare a standard, is there anything in particular that you focus on focus on to rearrange or to bring the song across in a manner that will sound fresh and original? In yeah. other words, so it'll sound like Nicole Zerattis doing it instead of just anybody.
1: No, that's a great question. It depends. Like, in fact, sometimes I have a really difficult time choosing a standard because I, I would prefer to arrange a pop song. Okay. I prefer to arrange like, for example, Jolene, because there's so much more places to go when the original song only has three chords and then then for me it's about mood and vibe and like the experience of the of the song but then with the standard it's tricky because there's so many changes and i personally don't love when i hear a jazz standard totally reharmed, and then the melody changed so much that's almost not recognizable anymore
2: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. um i'm like just write your own song mm-hmm. <laughs> like what's the, what's the point <laughs> just exactly know, like, just write your own tune. It doesn't sound anything like the song. So mm-hmm. I think one is is like still being I try to approach a song as like being true to the songwriter since I'm a songwriter. Like stay true to their melody. Otherwise write your own. Um Okay. And then two, I have to love the lyric. Um and try and relate to the lyric. And if I don't and if it's a lyric that's like a, over my head or too too superfluous like you'll know like I love the song Skylark but oh, every yeah. time I sing it I'm just like what am I even talking about mm-hmm. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying it's like it's a beautiful tune I love it and I'll, and I'll never arrange that song because it's a perfect song in my opinion there's beautiful chord changes beautiful melody what can we really do to that besides just sing the crap out of it it's a beautiful tune mm-hmm. but I'm like lyrically I'm like Oh, that, yeah, um, like okay, are you a sad bird? Am I a sad bird? Are you gonna bring me my love? Cause you're a bird. Like I don't know. You know what sure. Like, I don't know. I never thought about it. But i uh, song, like, you don't know what love is. When I was like a pining twenty year old, twenty five year old, I was like, yeah, you don't know what love is until you learn the meaning of the blues because all these guys are the worst you know like I could really relate to that lyric the
2: sure.
1: long-winded response
0: No I think that I think the lyrics are an important aspect uh, even when when it, you're just an you know an instrumentalist I love Skylark I'll play the heck out of it on trumpet because I love the melody I love the changes and uh, and I love to improvise over it so it's uh you know uh, I don't worry so much about that but you know if you think a song, Is poetry set to melody, you know, and then you've got to think, well, what's the poetic content? Is it, you know, I mean, that's sometimes a lot of what's wrong with uh, some, some, not all, not many, not most, but some pop songs is the lyrical content is so benign and so uh, immature, uh, you know, but then I guess it's for the audience it's written for. Well, anyway, well, when you write uh, an original song, like uh, thinking back to the last original song that you wrote, did you start with a melodic idea, a rhythmic idea, a particular set of chord changes, or did you start with the lyrics or a particular mood?
1: All of the above.
0: Oh, okay. So it all kind of comes organically uh, to you.
1: Yeah, it really just depends. Sometimes Uh, I'll come up with a little melody and I'll make a voice memo of just the melody. mm -hmm. Other times, if I've had the luxury, which I haven't had lately, and honestly, because we don't have a real piano anymore because of the pandemic, we haven't, I should now that I'm saying it out loud, I just need to get one. We have this like crappy keyboard. So I'm Mm -hmm. not writing that much. And I realized that I write a lot when I have a good instrument in front of me Cause then I'm more creative and I find different like themes and motifs and harmonic developed ideas to work on when I have a real piano. So sometimes it comes from the piano. Other times Mm -hmm. it comes from just like a melody in my brain. Other times it's the lyric, like I'll read something. Um, like I wrote a song on my record, save it for a rainy day. Mm -hmm. And that's based off of me reading a New York times article during the pandemic where the, um, stagehand on broadway was like they always tell you to save it for a rainy day but who knew it would rain this long mm-hmm. and i was like that is a lyric mm-hmm. so wrote that down lyric based the whole song off of that so it really t- really depends
0: interesting where lyrics could come from uh a few weeks ago i was, I was uh, interviewing uh, nick moss who's a blues uh singer and guitarist in Chicago. And I asked him where he got most of his lyric ideas. And he said he got them uh, from the uh, marquees out in front of Baptist churches. He's, he said, in fact, one of his album is entitled The High Cost of Low Living. And that sounds like that come right comes right what off a of a, a church, you know, one of those uh, marquees out in front of a church. So it's, it's interesting where you get things, New York times or, or uh, you know, those, those kinds of uh, uh, ideas. And that's what I, you know, artists way we, we work, you know, we, we see something and then it trans transforms into, into a great idea in in our brains. Well, I, I, I'm curious to know if I were to come to uh, New York in the next few weeks, might I find you performing somewhere?
1: sure thing um yeah yeah i'll be at the carlisle with darren chris for the first two weeks of december and then on a small tour with him Uh huh. and then i have a week-long residency including new year's eve with the birdland big band uh uh-huh. um two sets a night birdland upstairs and then in january it's like a birdland takeover for me i'm down in the theater for every tuesday and then I'm also doing um, Monday the 9th upstairs at Birdland. Wow. At Jazz Fest with Sonica on uh, January 14th.
0: Oh, my gosh. It's quite a busy, I, busy I, month I, and a half. I coming. tell you, it's probably too late to book a hotel room for New Year's. But, man, it sounds like I should get to New York soon. That sounds great.
1: Whenever you want to come see the big band, tickets on me truly.
0: Well, yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. I'll, uh, I I will, I will take you up on that. I, uh, I've often told my wife, I said, yeah, I'd love to go to New York and, and, you know, catch a show, go to the opera, go to some clubs, eat some good food, you know, that kind of thing. And, yeah. uh, uh, and that sounds great. I'm happy to hear you that you're busy and that you're, 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 you're outperforming. And that's great. I do, I do have an, another question, one more question to ask you before we wrap it up. Sure. You perform with combos, you perform with mid-sized groups like the like Dan's non you perform with big bands. Can you share any insights about any different quote-unquote muscles, uh, vocal muscles, that you have to flex in those different kinds of situations? And how would you compare performing in these different sort of musical environments?
1: Interesting. I actually don't know if it's a vocal, muscle, vocal, vocal thing as is it is it a presence thing. Okay. I think it doesn't matter the size of the band. It's about like the, how you fill up the space in the room. Okay. And if you're standing in front of an 18 piece band, you can't like saunter onto the stage and be like, hi, good evening. You have to be bigger than the band. And I'm not talking like ostentatious and, and, and obnoxious, Mm -hmm. but, or like false and, um, you know, seemingly, um, pretentious. I don't know if I already said that, but, uh, I, I mean, like you just have to take up more space. So Mm -hmm. that means obviously I have to sing louder with the big band, but also I hope that they will be dynamic. So I'm not pushing. And then with the, with the Nanette, I would say my personality just depends on who I'm playing with. Okay. Who I'm playing with like the Nonet, I'm really comfortable with them. It's Dan and I's band. I love playing with the Nonet. So that vibe on stage is is, is always going to be great because it's it feels like home. Mm-hmm. So um and then when I'm singing backgrounds for people, that's when I feel the least in my own, comfortable in my own skin. Okay. Because I have no say over anything that's happening.
0: Uh yeah. You got to like
1: the audience is not reacting or, or they're, they're not engaged. I'm like, I am helpless in the
0: situation. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's
1: fine. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. My. Well, that's, I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's interesting. Your, your responses are, 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 are a little bit different than others that I've asked that same other vocalists I've asked. I mean, uh, one vocalist I interviewed, uh, she basically said, well, when I'm with a big band, the hardest thing I have is just remembering the roadmap of the chart. <laughs> you know, whereas within a combo, things are looser and, you know, that sort of thing. And I'm sure everybody has different perspectives. And I, I think you're probably right that given the the environment you're in, probably probably impacts a lot. Well, we have covered, I think, a lot of ground, Nicole, but is there anything else you'd like to add or tell my audience I haven't asked you about?
1: No, um, I just, you know, I'm an open book, honest to a fault. So if anyone wants to ever, you know, chat or reach out, you know, they can follow me on socials at Nicole Z Music, or I have YouTube, Spotify, Apple Music, all that good stuff. Sure. Nicole Z Music is kind of my. Is the best way to find me. com. the whole lot.
0: All right. And and just so you know, and just to remind my listeners, I include your 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 webpage address, your Facebook, uh, also some YouTube videos in my show notes so that they they certainly have uh the capability to uh to find out more about you and connect with you and uh and we we certainly want to encourage people to do that because you're very approachable. <laughs> <laughs> i haven't been scared for one second today <laughs>
1: it's probably because i'm wearing a sweatshirt
0: <laughs> well may i don't know i kidding. no so i it, what's funny i tell people that i have this podcast and that i'm interviewing you know grammy winning and grammy nominated and and big you know recording and performing musicians and they all look how do you do that i says oh you just send them an email and ask if they want you know they're people too Oh, you know, so we're all people. Well, Nicole, thank you uh, for You're taking awesome. time so to talk with me today and uh, say hello to Dan again for me. And and wish uh, I wish both of you all the best with what I'm sure is going to be a continued oh, successful man. musical future.
1: I can't. Wait. Hopefully, we'll come see you in Wisconsin. Stay warm out there.
0: Well, we're we're doing it. We're doing it. But uh, yeah, because uh, we it'd be great to have you guys perform out here. We do have a couple of clubs and uh, and uh, and uh, you know, not nothing like New York, but uh, there's still a few out here. And uh, so, thanks again. You're the best. You bet. Have a great one. My discovery composer of the week is Franz. Schrecker. Born in Monaco, March 23rd, 1878, he died in Berlin, March 21st, 1934. Schrecker is a central figure in that remarkable flowering of opera in Austria that included the works of Zemlinsky, Berg, and Korngold, integrating his aesthetic plurality a mixture of Romanticism, Naturalism, Symbolism, Impressionism, Expressionism, and Neue Sachlichkeit. Timbral experimentation, strategies of extended tonality, and conception of total music theater into the narrative of 20th century music. He has contributed to a more differentiated understanding of Central European modernism. Schrecker was the oldest of four children. His father's travels took him and his family from Vienna to Monaco, Spa, Brussels, Paris, Trieste, and Pola before he settled at last in Linz in 1882. After his death in 1888, the family moved to Vienna, where in 1892, with the help of a scholarship, Franz entered the conservatory. There he graduated as a violinist in 1897 and as a composer in 1900. His first public performance took place in London in July 1896, when the Budapest Orchestra performed his Love Song for strings and harp, a work now lost. In 1900, the Andante from a symphony in A minor and a setting of a psalm, his graduation exercise, were performed by the Conservatory Orchestra. And during the following two seasons, he achieved notable performances, as well as the concert premiere with piano of his first opera, Flamen in April of 1902. Several of his early works and most of his songs were published and his Intermezzo won first prize in a competition sponsored by the Neue Musikalische Presse. Probably in the midst of his flurry of early success, though possibly as late as 1904, he began Der klang," for which as with all his subsequent operas, he wrote his own libretto. He had begun conducting in 1895, and when he had founded the Verein der Musikfreunde Dublin, whose orchestra and chorus he had led until 1899, after graduating from the conservatory, he had applied unsuccessfully for a number of theater positions until a year spent as a rehearsal coach and assistant conductor at the Vienna Volksoper cured him of any lingering illusions about a career in the opera house. In 1907, he formed the Philharmonic Chorus. He conducted the group until 1920. The success of his pantomime, Der Geburtstag der Infantin, called attention to his development as a composer. In 1909, he signed a general contract with Universal Edition, and resumed work on Der Fern Klang. The opera was completed at the end of 1910, and given its premiere on the 18th of August, 1912. This auspicious premiere coincided with his appointment as a professor of counterpoint Harmony and Composition at the Music Academy in Vienna. His next opera, Das Spielwerk und die Prinzessin, was less well received and the outbreak of World War I the following year interrupted the continuing success of Der Ferne With the premiere of Die Zeichneten in 1918, Schrecker moved to the front ranks of contemporary opera composers. The premiere of Die Schatzgräber in 1920 was the high point of his career. And in March that year, he was appointed director of the Hochschule für Musik in Berlin, where he transformed the institution into the preeminent conservatory of its day. As a teacher, Schrecker was remarkably undogmatic. His emphasis on technical fluency and creative individuality produced an exceptionally diverse school of students. Schrecker's fame and influence were at their peak during the politically and economically unstable early years of the Weimar Republic. He toured widely to supervise and conduct productions of his operas, During the later 1920s, he developed expertise in both recording and broadcasting technologies and followed with interest developments in the Hochschule's electronic music laboratory. His Kleine Suite was the first work commissioned specifically for German radio and his Wir kleine Stück for film were part of the same project as Schoenberg's Opus 34. In 1932, he supervised the development of the first concert films. The decline of Schrecker's artistic fortunes began with the lukewarm reception of his sixth opera, which premiered in 1924, and the failure of Der der Teufel, which premiered in Berlin in 1928. The process was accelerated by the economic turmoil of the late 1920s, which threw German opera houses into crisis. Right-wing demonstrations marred the premiere of Der Schmied von Gint, Berlin, 1932, and national socialist pressure forced the cancellation of the scheduled Freiberg premiere of Christophorus. In June of 1932, Schrecker was forced to resign his position at the Hochschule. He took up a master class at the Prussian Academy of the Arts, but was placed on leave in May of 1933 and officially dismissed in September that year. In December of 1933, he suffered a stroke to which he succumbed two days before his 56th birthday. The All Music Guide lists two recordings of Schrecker's chamber music, eight of his choral works, one of his keyboard work, eight of his operas, one of his symphony in A minor, 30 recordings of other orchestral works, one recording of his pantomime Der Geburtstag der Infantin, and 39 recordings of Schrecker's works for voice, with accompaniment. In my show notes is a link to a YouTube video of Schrecker's Chamber Symphony, performed by the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra, conducted by Edo Duvart. That wraps episode 118. My show notes along with links to artist websites, recording label websites, YouTube videos of artist performances, are all posted on my Facebook page, The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Next week, I'll be interviewing veteran New York City-based trombone and trumpet player, Nick Viennis, a member of Michael Bublé's touring band. Other upcoming interviews include jazz-based trombonist, Chris Glassman. Nashville-based, Karen Balou of the Celtic Folk Group, The Deer's Cry, New York City-based jazz trombonist, Mario Bildston, and a one-two punch of New York City-based baritone saxophonists, Andrew Hedro, and Carl Maraghi. So don't touch that dial. If you have questions, comments, or a suggestion of an artist, composer, or musical style for me to consider, you may email me at H U R S T C at uwm.edu. So until next time, this is Professor Craig W. Hurst and Carmel the Wonder Dog signing off from The Musical Universe of Professor Hurst. Have a great day.